Welcome to Mysteries, Monsters, and Mayhem. I'm Shannon Lawrence. And I'm M.B. Partlow. Quick content warning before we get started. This podcast may contain language and disturbing content, so enter at your own risk. Hello. Hello. You just jumped right in right there. Like, let's do this. Okay, let's do this. Go. Okay, bing. <laughs> we were talking about punishing our children, how different they each were, and how hard it was to punish one of them. And it reminded me, because I think it was... I think it was my daughter. The thing is, both of my kids were pretty literal. I think it was my daughter <laughs> that I put in time out. And she looked at me at one point and she went, but am I allowed to breathe in time out? And I was like, well, yeah, but <laughs> you can't play and you can't talk to me, but you can breathe. I'm not one right of there. ours. And it was just a serious question. I'll leave it up. I won't say which one. If we put her in time out, she would sit there and rub her nose on the wall until it Oh, geez. Yeah. Ow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other one, I will just say the other one for whom timeout was not a big deal at home. But if she, she like acted up in a restaurant once and it got timeout in public. Oh, yeah. I think that was all it took was oh, the one yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Humiliation for one worked. But like timeout didn't work on my son because he was like. He was perfectly happy to have some time to sit and think, you know, he's like, this is relaxing. Uh, thinking Son back on bitch. it, when I was a kid, if I got sent to my room, I was like, okay. I know, me too. I was I, like, you're not going to remove my shit. Like, I, Don't you turn your TV on. Okay, I have books. I, I would read comic books. Yeah. I would color. I would just, I probably fell asleep. That's who I am. <laughs> right. I'm very excited. I don't know if I told you, I started watching Big Sky finally. Oh, finally. How far are you I, I'm still in the first season. Okay. But it's that good. big twist, yeah, <laughs> in the beginning, with one of the, with one of the characters, yeah, and I, I, I shouldn't worry about spoilers because it's on the third it's, season. Yeah, it's on the third. But when they, the I just went, whoa! I think I right, actually because said, it's, uh, yeah, that would be a spoiler. But yeah, you're, I, you're surprised at who it is because of the person acting in the role. Yes. I believe I actually said out loud, I was not expecting that. <laughs> I know. That one, it got me. He was the reason, well, he was, yeah. that person was the reason that I watched it. You know, like, oh, so I'll check this out. It's been a while since, you know. Yeah. Okay. And then you're like, well, I don't know who the fuck anybody else is now. Nope. And now, of course, they've got Reba and they've got Jensen Ackles. So my sister-in-law, my sister-in-law and I were talking about it and she was like, I, what season are you on? I said, I'm still in the first season. She said, oh, I'm in the current season. And I said, I want to, I want to get to that one because of Reba and Jensen Ackles. She goes, yeah, Jensen Ackles. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she said, what did she say? Get in line. She said, <laughs> yeah. She said something about, he's got a, something about he's cute or something. I can't remember what she said. And I'm like, oh my God. And that butt. And she's like, where have you seen his butt? So I sent her oh. the meme where he's reading a book and his jeans or what. And she was like, thank you. <laughs> You're like, don't worry, we've had years to build up this. She she also watched Supernatural. Oh, okay. Uh, I like that he gets to be Texan. He actually gets to be himself yes. in it. And not not that it's like he super hard tried to bury the accent, but he does have a mild Texas accent. And it's more... Did you see him in The Boys? Yeah. I, d- I haven't watched that season yet. Oh, He's he's terrible. I mean, like, as in his character is okay. terrible. He's, not him. Okay. He is... A, quite amusing i wouldn't mind if they brought him back except that he's awful (laughs) so i yeah i I might get around to it i might i find something new and la 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 la, and then i 
Watch it for a few days and Yeah, I did I just went back to Big Sky actually a couple days ago. Like, oh shit, I still haven't finished the season. Um Except for things like Wednesday. Yeah. I binged that shit out of that in like two days. I didn't, but we already talked about why I was kind of yes. Yes. not as there as some other people because I already had a fandom for a different version. Yeah. I did like I did we finished it. So I saw the Uncle Fester and he did he was doing very much the TV Uncle Fester. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, edgier because it was TV and black and white. Yes. But, but yeah, it very much the voice and all that really harkened back to him more than, say, mm-hmm. uh, Christopher, who's a Moetti's version in the movies. Uh, Lloyd? Lloyd, yeah. Yes. I liked his version. See, I didn't have a problem switching from the TV to those movies, but then the movies defined it more for me. Yes. Despite growing up in the TV show. But yeah, I finished it. It was good. I, the people creaming themselves over it confused me, but... <laughs> To each their own, and that's great that they loved it. Yes. And because she was a good Wednesday. She just wasn't my Wednesday. Yes. It's fine. <laughs> that's all. She's just so teeny. She is teeny. She's five. I think she's five foot. She's either five foot or five one. Oh, wow. Yes, because the woman who plays the principal is like six five. Yes. I looked because I looked him up because I didn't know her because I didn't watch Game of Thrones. I know. It's okay. I, I, I think I'm the only person. <laughs> Now, have you watched... What's the other thing everybody's watching? Yellowstone. No. I have not no. watched it because I was kind of like, eh, <laughs> I can take or leave. I'm like, eh. He's I, the same person in every movie he's in. It's I've exhausting. seen him in one movie that I thought, oh my God, that was an outstanding performance. And mm-hmm. it was uh, The Upside of Anger. I don't know if I saw it. Again, I might have avoided it because he was in it, so... Probably, because it was well after Dances with Wolves. There had to be somebody in the movie. The problem was he kept getting action movies, and I like me an action movie. So there have been ones I've seen. I think um, Julianne, I can't remember her last name, was in it opposite him. There's somebody named Julianne. Julianne Moore. Oh, okay. And she's a woman... And she, I think she has, I, it's been a long time since I've seen the movie. So it's not like I just watched it. She has two daughters and. Oh, is it the dementia one? No, her husband disappears. Oh. One day he just leaves. I might have watched that And one. his secretary leaves at almost the same time. And they try to track him down and they were never able to find him. And he plays the drunk next door neighbor. And it seems like maybe Julianne Moore's character also had a problem with drinking and they maybe tried to. And then they, of course, sparked a relationship. And I am going to spoil the hell out of this movie because it is so old. 1990s or something? Yeah. Um, I mean, the daughter, one of the daughters gets married and he's at the wedding. The Kevin Costner character. Well, they're on the prop. They own a big old house and like a little bit of property. Dad fell down a well. They find his like skeletal remains. Nice. Years. So all this time she's been so very angry. For a secretary. Yes. And he fell down a well. He fell down a well and died. This is why you need to have a collie. Mm -hmm. For when somebody falls down a well. I think I probably did see that. Because I think she's a really good actress. And that was one of the few things I've seen him in that I just was stunned that oh my god he really made me believe this and he wasn't playing the big doofy affable athletic whoever i probably i saw more of his like post-apocalyptic water world and the postman and stuff like that i reread the postman 
Oh, I didn't know it was a book. (laughs) The first time I read The Postman, it was one of the first post-apocalyptic books I had read. And I really liked it. That, like, got me into the genre. I reread it in the last year. Mm-hmm. Oh, it does not hold up. No. It Who's is it a, by? Oh, no, no. Oh, so not I like d- somebody I don't major. Re- that... It is some... I think it is somebody big. It's not like a McCarthy, is it? <laughs> no, but I can't... Can't remember. I, I can't. Somebody out there listening is going, Oh, my God, it's so-and-so. Yeah, it is. Sexist. Yeah. They're big... And I'm just going to ruin the book... But again, it's been out for decades. The big surprise at the end, how they defeat the attack, they let women fight. Ooh, how noble. And I was like, why did I at any point think that was a good book? (laughs) Because honestly, before social media, we all put up with things because it was just the way things were. It wasn't until women started talking, I feel like, on social media that suddenly, because I had that kind of had a snippet of that conversation with one of our mutual friends on Facebook when I posted about the mm-hmm. secrets playboy thing. And it was like, it's just, it's just women knew that was the way it was. And so then they had to just go with the way things were. And now we don't have to anymore. Mm-hmm. Somewhat. Thank goodness. Still is happening, but you know, like yeah. somewhat now there's that sense of empowerment, just in knowing you're not alone. You're not the only one. And no, it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> it does not. It's nice. It's much nicer. I think. And <laughs> that's why people, well, why oh, nobody talked about this stuff before and now they talk about it all the time? Yeah, because we realized that we could talk about it. And so yes. now we got to get out decades. Some of us, many more decades than others, you have to understand. We have a podcast um, organizing project yeah. that you and I have been talking about. <laughs> I'm not even going to say what it was because it took us so long to do it. But I've been working on it. And... I had to listen to the podcast to f- get a piece of information. And it was one of our earlier podcasts. I was like, I didn't have time to sit here and listen to the whole podcast. So I sped it up to 1.5. Oh, my God. We are fucking hilarious <laughs> at 1.5 1.5. You ever get the chance to listen to it? Because it's just. I've heard of I people have... that do that with audiobooks and podcasts, though, just as their normal. Yes. Speed it up. And I'm like. I want to know who's doing that. I would <laughs> see speeding it up to 1.2, but man, 1.5 is really pretty fast. Yeah. And I was like, I was just trying to get to a point. I needed like one name or something. So. <laughs> just shut oh. up and get to the name. All the ways we amuse ourselves. And I'm listening to us talk about stuff and I'm like, oh yeah, we used to do that. Right. Podcast. Yeah. Because we did. We we talk about books like, and TV book every read? time. What TV show did you watch? What movie did? Because we felt like we needed to have something to come in with. And we're like, we talk enough without this. So this just <laughs> makes it so much longer at the beginning. Notice we've been keeping our episodes very much around one hour so, like, now. With You're welcome. Even falling below. And you are welcome. Because some of that, that's me cutting out a lot of shit to get up to there. But sometimes we just do it naturally now. We do it naturally are shorter. Yes. We get to the point a little bit quicker. So you read Fairy Tale by Stephen I King. I did. Now you're trying to get started. But it's okay. I'm reading it now. And I'm on like page 150, which means the story hasn't even started yet. Stephen. <laughs> For real. Like that a, should have been edited so hard. There is a very definitive line where here's the first half of the book. Here's the second half of the book. Yeah. So you aren't at that line yet. No. Because when I got there, I put the book down. <laughs> Oh, Not because it was bad, because of what I feared was going to happen. And I was like, I can't take it right now. Yeah. 
Bless you. <laughs> that was not me. That was a cat. Was a cat. Um, what I feared, I know you know what I feared. I'm not going to spoil it because that is a new book. Um, what I feared was going to happen did not happen. Okay. Yeah. But still. I'm just, I'm reading it and I'm like, this is why I, I do <laughs> After being such a Stephen King fan, I can't, I can't handle that nobody edits him anymore. Or they yeah. edit him, but they're like, I'm going to let him ramble and do weird things that don't further the plot. Like yes. everything we're supposed to not do, he can do now. I will say he gives you, he does do a beautiful job giving you, drawing the characters. His strength has always been characters. And the emotional state of the characters. I mean, you know if they're angry, you know if they're sad, you know if they're whatever they are. Yes. And you know why. Because, you know, the main character is conflicted about a lot of things. He dealt with a lot of things. Oh, yeah. He did things he regrets that I'm just like, honey, (laughs) you were going through some shit. Like, forgive yourself. Yes. You're a kid. That's going to... Yeah. I'm sure it all leads to something because <laughs> surely he... I, but I'm just like, this the limited amount of time I have to read, I kept putting it off because I knew it's going to take me forever because it's like the size of my firstborn. I don't know. <laughs> so and I read it, on, I read it as an ebook, But mm. I did read the new Robert Crace. That was pretty good. And I read the new... Michael Connolly. Okay. It was a new Harry Bosch book. And it's weird. I used to devour all these series, mm-hmm. right? I used to be my thing, like just, just devour the discover it. And you have to read all the backlog. Like mm-hmm. when I discovered J.D. Robb, she put oh, out yeah. forever, right? And mm-hmm. I just ate those up. I have more time to read too, but oh, yeah. Ate them up. And then now when I try and return to some of these series that I used to read by people, Karen Slaughter, Mm, There's a mm-hmm. new TV show based on one of her characters. Did you know that? It's oh. A, oh no. I think it's on I think it's on Hulu and the cover is like a man holding a very tiny dog and with like police tape behind him. If you see that image, that's it's based on Karen Slaughterworks. Oh. Huh. But yeah, I just I found I can't go back to a lot of these. And some of them, like especially JD Rob, because yeah. I do like those books. Yeah. But they're kind of like popcorn. I Some days I think, you know. It becomes the same after a while. Yes. I think I would like to go back to the beginning and read them all in order. Because I just picked those up and because they were everywhere. Same. Um, but the nice thing is, every once in a while, they'll be on ebooks special, the older ones. And I'll buy them and put them on my Kindle because I can reread them because I don't remember. I mean, I can easily figure out who the get. But I don't. I don't remember them. So. Yeah. All the joys of getting old. <laughs> Everything's new again. Well, my, oh, it was. Oh, no. Tom Cruise plays him in a TV show. Lee Child. It was a Lee Child books I tried to go back to. And I was like, it's not bad. It's just. Uh, I yeah, got, I've read I, but it. I also got done. I don't watch certain series that are repeat things where there's a new thing each time anymore for the same reason. At some point, I stepped over mm-hmm. a line where it doesn't work for me anymore. Because I'm like, this is the same fucking thing that happened last time with different names. Bones. God, yes. I Bones, it, we have figured per- out the third person. I, yeah, I was going to say, it's the third person they talk to. Every time. Yep. And I was like, that's, when you get to that point where we all know it's the third person, every time you've become too formulaic. A little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I, I stopped. Will- and I loved their banter and how they mm-hmm. all were, they were great together. The group dynamic. But I couldn't. I will say, I thought J.D. Robb, which of course is Nora Roberts, in the middle of the series, there was a sameness. Yeah. 
It was like there was a crime. But she figured it out. Eve Dallas figured it out immediately, and the whole book was about her proving it. Yeah. Then she flipped it, so she didn't figure it out in the first ten pages. (laughs) And then have to prove it. So you had to work out who... So it actually maintained the mystery for longer. That's good. So... Okay, so (laughs) I am going to, we're going to go down a different rabbit hole today, a different path through the woods. This is the, is it solved or is it unsolved? All right. So these are known as the Robeson family or Goodhart murders. And Goodhart is the area where the murders took place. It's H-A-R-T, not the thing beating not in your beating. chest. Palpitating. <laughs> yes. Or not beating in your chest, yes. as the case may be. <laughs> anyway, Richard C. Robeson, known to his friends and family as Dick, lived with his wife and children in the Detroit area uh, in Lathrop Village. He worked in advertising and he published an art magazine. And they had a nice, you know, middle class house and a nice quiet street. So, in early June of 1968, the family packed up and went to Somerset, which was their name for their log and stone cottage near Goodhart, Michigan. So, it's an area known, I don't know Michigan, so I'm taking all this on faith, but it's known as Michigan's Summer Playground because their front door was about 100 feet from the shores of Lake Michigan. Yeah. So, I'm like... That would be, it, oh, I think it, no, it was on Ontario side, mm-hmm. so whatever, Great Lake, and it was a picture, and it was a, like, like a chopper going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is funny, because it was, all, it was, it was so, he was like, it's in Ontario, and I was like, so is it like Ontario? And we were like, we don't know. <laughs> it could be nowhere near Ontario, we don't know. But anyway, it's a, like a chopper flying by, and all of the houses on the lake front, Mm-hmm. Coated in ice, completely frozen. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. I've seen those a couple days ago. That is astounding. Right? You see those. I was all, can they get out? And then you see the houses behind them on that second row. Yeah, they've got ice in them, but they're not ice castles. They Most of those are summer homes. Oh, so they're not even there. I wonder how much that must damage so many. That yeah. wood freezing and growing like that. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's crazy. Anyway, that was my side. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. And I would like to say it was a little rustic cabin. It it was a pretty big. These were mansions. These This was a pretty big. And apparently this part of um, Lake Michigan, you can't even really see it. Because, like, the, you can't see the all the houses and stuff. Because they're, like, nestled into the woods. And they're. Mm. So it doesn't. It, it's not like driving into a town. It's all kind of spread out. Okay. And, Sounds like a very nice place that I'll never be able to afford. But, so the family consisted of Dick, who was 42, and his wife, who I saw called Susan, and I also saw called Shirley. So I've written both. We're going to call her Shirley. So he was 42. She was 40. Their children, who went with them to the camp, were Richard, who was called Richie, who was 19, Gary, who was 16, Randall, who was 12, and a little girl named Susan, who was seven years old. Mm-hmm. So in mid-July, neighbors started to notice a bad smell coming from the Robeson's cabin. On July 22nd, a caretake, caretaker stopped by to check things out. 
Because I think people did call the police. Right. It smells like dead people. So the doors were all locked. So he forced the door open and found the first body. And they later determined it was Shirley, who was lying on her stomach on the floor with a plaid blanket covering most of her body. The caretaker wisely ran away and called the police. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, beat feet out of there. I have to think as he approached the cabin, he had to have a suspicion of what he was going to find. Given that neighbors... If you've smelled death, it's distinctive. Even if you haven't, <laughs> it's, distinctive. it's distinctive. And remember, neighbors have been complaining about yeah. the smell, and these cabins were not right on top of each other. That would have been it must a, have been warm. Yeah, well, it was summer, uh, and I, that warm will come up again later. Um, that I wrote that had to be a smell with legs. <laughs> the investigators had to wear gas masks to enter the cabin. Yeah, so. Shirley had been shot once in the head. A twenty-five caliber slug was found during the first autopsy, she, and she was nude from the waist down. Mm-hmm. It didn't say anything about any signs of sexual but assault. But often that implies. But, yeah. yeah. But if it's degraded to that point, there wouldn't be anything left to tell, probably. It, probably. Yeah. So Dick was lying in the on the floor in the hallway over a hot air register. Mm. He was shot once in the head. During the first autopsy, a 25 caliber slug was found, and he was determined to have skull fractures, and there was evidence of blunt force trauma. A second slug, a second 22 caliber slug, was found in the second autopsy, and authorities believe he was shot in the chest with a rifle, then in the head with a pistol. Hmm. Yeah. Let's Does that see. imply more than one person, or somebody was just like, I'm going to switch a gun? <laughs> and I'm, I think I'm going to come up back to this later, okay. but... They believe he was shot with a rifle first mm-hmm. through the window from a distance. And then the gotcha. perpetrator came into the cabin and just fucking shot everybody up close and personal. Yeah. Well, I think people underestimate how loud a shotgun is like any gun. But uh, yes. Shooting a shotgun inside a cabin close range is not really what those are for. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Richie, who had been a student at Eastern Michigan University, was found with like the halfway between the bedroom and the hallway so half of him was in the bedroom i don't mean he was cut in half i just mean he fell so that he had multiple gunshot wounds to the head 25 caliber gary who was a high school student was found along the wall in one of the bedrooms they thought later he might have been that one of the boys might have been trying to go get a gun Mm. that was in the bedroom uh he had two gunshot wounds to the head the second autopsy found a 22 caliber slug and evidence he had been shot in the back. And playing cards were scattered on the floor around those two bodies. Randall was found on top of his father with a lavender throw rug tossed over him. His cause of death was a gunshot wound to the head, although that bullet was not recovered. Susan, the youngest, was lying on her back in the hallway near her father. She was shot in the head and a 25 caliber slug was recovered. She also had a skull fracture. From one of my sources, investigators later determined someone had shot through a cottage window with a rifle, killing Dick Robeson and one of the boys. The others were chased down and shot one by one. And here's where it gets ugly. The killer closed the curtains, locked the door, turned up the heat, then tried to cover the bullet holes in the window with a piece of cardboard. So they were taking steps to make it as hard as possible to determine what happened. Mm -hmm. The police had a very difficult time since nearly a month had passed between the murder and the discovery of the bodies. And again, this was in the... I'm surprised they didn't try to burn it down or something. Uh, 
But That's true. I hadn't even thought of that. They started questioning everyone in the area about what they had seen or heard near the Robinson's cabin in the last month. They looked at a local man and a teen who was working for him trimming trees. They determined that these two were probably the last people to see the Robesons alive. And these people were hounded for years Mm. because there were all these theories and conspiracy theories about what happened to the family. Some neighbors recalled hearing raised voices and gunshots around that time, but assumed someone was shooting at seagulls on the beach. Oh, it's a thing that happens, apparently. I was going to say, can we just stop at this point and say, what the actual fuck? (laughs) Shooting at seagulls? That's a thing? Honestly, people shoot in Ute Valley Park sometimes, and so we are kind of used to hearing gunshots around here. Okay, I I grew up in a place where they hunt. Though, because we'll be like, was that just in the park? Was that a firework, or was that a gun? We don't know, because they do both. But shooting at seagulls, like, it was so common. People really hate them. They're rats with wings, just like pigeons. I I agree. (laughs) I know. I hate (laughs) seagulls, but I'm not going to go to their environment and shoot at them. No, I don't. But, I don't know, people don't think like you. Aren't we lucky? (laughs) The world is probably a better place. Not when it comes to animals. Uh, True. (laughs) Okay, so here are some grody details. All right. And then I wrote, does anyone still use grody? (laughs) Yes, but I also still use nifty, so I don't think that should make you feel great. (laughs) I logged into my my weekly meeting at work, and they said, how are you? And I said, swell. So, again, I don't... They're like, swell. So thing two used to get teased in first in high school and then in college because I have a huge vocabulary and I use, I pick up slang. I pick it up out of books. I pick it up from people I know from everywhere. And I use old sayings. So, so does she, people would be look at her and be like, where the hell are you from? But well, because I, I started doing it on purpose because I was like, I don't have to commit to a real genuine answer though, but I don't have to tell you I'm fine either. That's my thing. So yeah. I'll say swell. <laughs> that means oh whatever God. I wanted to. Because <laughs> I got tired of saying good when it, nothing was ever good. Yeah. I but you that. do. That's what you automatically. Oh, if it's good, how are you? It's bullshit. Nobody's good. That's so I say swell. All or right. nifty keen. Ooh, Ooh. I like that. All right. So back to some nifty grody details. Rad. Some swell grody details. <laughs> Because of the smell and the advanced decomposition, the initial autopsies were done at the Emmett County Fairgrounds. The local morgue was not equipped to deal. (laughs) Not with the smell and not with that number at once. I mean, murders didn't happen here. They're beyond moist. (laughs) (laughs) The bodies were exhumed and re-examined in November of 1968 because the investigators wanted to look for more evidence. At the, at the cabin, a note apparently written by Dick was found, and it said, be back 710. So, like, July 10th. A half-packed suitcase was found in one of the bedrooms, and the family appeared to be dressed for traveling. And I just laughed at that, because I'm like, today, how the fuck Did would it you <laughs> I would have my good sweatpants on. <laughs> and B was wearing jodhpurs. <laughs> what do I travel in? Some money and jewelry was missing. But expensive electronics were left behind. So the so motive is not robbery. No. But they might have been like, well, take this too. So the investigation quickly zeroed in on Joseph Raymond Scalero III. He was an Army veteran who had worked for Dick since 1965. 
there were discrepancies between what the investigators found and the statements that Scalero gave. So that led investigators to more closely examine his alibi. One of the investigators said Scalero was so smooth, it was like trying to nail down Jello. <laughs> that was the actual quote. I love that. But the week before the killing, Scalero was writing pre-signed checks on the company account. So his boss had gone on vacation, left pre-signed checks so that people could be paid. And apparently this dude was giving himself and other employees pretty big raises. Hmm. And I'm like, of course the other employees aren't going to rat him out. They're, right? They're like, he gave me an extra two grand. Yeah. So in addition, uh, Rebison's secretary had called him about the missing amounts of money. In 1970, Emmett County, this is where it gets real fucked up. Emmett County's new prosecutor thought there wasn't enough evidence to justify the expense of a trial. That was the sole reason why this man never went to trial. a lot. The prosecutor said, because it was a small county. prosecutor doesn't think they can win. He didn't want to pay for it. That was it. So what did the investigators said? They didn't want to pay for the autopsies. They didn't want to pay for the disinterment. We don't mind taking summer resorters money, but we don't want to spend any money on them. Right. Well, okay. So the state police got involved and they also thought the guilty party was obvious. It didn't matter. The most damning evidence found was that a 25 caliber, caliber Beretta automatic pistol was used, as well as an unusual 22 caliber Armalite AR-7 rifle. Scalaro had purchased two of each of those. Also, his father-in-law had a private shooting range and shell casings were found that exactly matched those found at the scene of the crime. And there was evidence of Scalaro having purchased ammunition for both guns. Okay, that's that's pretty. Um, in addition, and we've talked about this a lot, he failed two lie detector tests, and a third was deemed inconclusive. So we know mm-hmm. those they yeah they don't work all they don't always work. And it also depends on who's administering. Exactly. So as years passed, Emmett County continued to just sit on its thumbs. So Oakland County, where Robeson's business was located and where the alleged embezzlement took place, took the case. So in 1972, a new prosecutor looked at the case and determined that they could charge Scalaro with six counts of murder. As authorities were getting ready to request an arrest warrant in March of 1973, Scalaro killed himself. (laughs) He left a two-part note. He, he left a suicide note and then he like left an additional note for his mother. And he said he was a cheat, but not a murderer. It included a PS that said he had nothing to do with the Robeson killing. He was a cheat, but not a murderer. He included a list of people he had swindled out of money. Okay. But he, but the note to his mom said, I did not kill the Robesons. That's not to say people don't lie in their suicide notes. Right. It is compelling, though, in that he's like, no, I'm totally a bad person, but I'm not a murderer. So technically, the case remains unsolved, although police say they are certain Scalaro was the murderer. Rumors about the murder persisted for 50 years. In 2018, retired investigators joined up with a local historian to present community, community forums on the case. So there was standing room only. They were a little surprised at the turnout, 
But there have always been all these rumors and it was probably the big thing that happened. Well, there, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Because if you remember, the people who were children in 1968 are now grown up and remember the crime, but not any resolution. Because when you're a kid, you don't pay attention to the right. later articles in the paper. And the authorities wanted to squelch any rumors that a mass murderer could still be at large. However, there's always a however, <laughs> despite what the amateur investigators and historians have found, there were some unanswered questions that had nothing to do with Scalaro. While Robeson had a reputation as an upright businessman, a churchgoer, a well-liked family man, there were some discrepancies. His advertising agency had been losing money for some time, and his company had swindled money from their largest client, Delta Fawcett Company. The arts magazine he published inflated their circulation numbers and used some unauthorized advertisements or like um, endorsements. Mm -hmm. In addition, police found some puzzling notes and drawings in Robeson's business papers detailing a computerized warehousing scheme and some investors known only as the Superior Table, which was headed by a man named Robert. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. Huh? It's R-O-E-B-E-R-T. Okay. Or maybe it's Robert. I don't know. Um, anyway, Dick was later found, when they found the body, he was wearing a St. Christopher's medal that was inscribed on the back with Richard, to my chosen son and heir, God bless you, Robert. Uh, nobody knows who Robert is. On the morning of June 25th, Dick Robeson made several business phone calls from the cabin. One of them was to the National Bank of Detroit, where he asked if a $200,000 deposit had arrived. It had not. Mm. There is also the fact that Robeson told several neighbors that he would be flying out with his family to visit Kentucky and Florida. He didn't seem to have any connection to Kentucky or Florida. There were also unanswered questions about the caretaker who found the bodies. Of course, you find a body, you're, you're immediately in. a suspect. Yeah. Chauncey Bliss, who went by the nickname Monnie, M-O-N-N-I-E. I don't know how you... Anyway, rural. Who knows how people get their nicknames. He had built the Robeson cabin and several others with his father. As a matter of fact, there's still a lot of the cabins up there are called Bliss cabins. Because hmm. they built them. It was this stone foundation with the polished timbers on the top. Locals said he was strange and sometimes frightening and liked to talk to spirits. He drove his old truck around on the dirt roads at night. Although, heaven forbid, he could have just been an insomniac. Right? You know how many times I've gone for a late night drive? Used to drive to Garden of the Gods. That doesn't explain the whole time. I couldn't find any more on talking to spirits. I mean, maybe you didn't want to talk to them, but they wouldn't shut up. We don't know his life. But we do not. <laughs> um, his He had a son, Norman, who was killed in a motorcycle accident two days before the Robeson family was killed. There doesn't seem to be any connection between that and the Robesons, except that the son, Norman, was friends with the two older Robeson boys. While Bliss's wife and daughter maintain he could never have harmed anyone, they do acknowledge that he had some untreated mental conditions. That was their phrase. And he was a blabbermouth. So they said, yeah, he he had a big mouth and he ran it a lot. And apparently whatever crossed his brain came out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. So he might well have said something like the Robesons got what they deserved. 
But that doesn't mean he was involved. Yeah, in a lot of the time, it. those people who can't keep their mouth shut, people need to understand they can't keep their mouth shut if they do the crime either. Oh, yeah. If you don't have a filter, shit's coming out. Yeah. So there's still the question remains who murdered the Robeson family? Yeah. The, I understand why the people who live in that community want everyone to, and it might have been Scalaro. And I understand why they want people to think that. So you don't think, well, we let a mass murderer go. Right. But at the same time, this family of seven was brutally killed and nobody was ever brought to justice for it. Right. It, it's, it's a stretch for somebody who's embezzling money to kill everybody when they have ample opportunity to kill somebody when they're by themselves. Yeah. Like you have to be a certain kind of psycho to kill children. Yes. You know, so yeah, but he sounds like he was mixed up in a few things that people just will never know. Yeah. Because he's gone. And if he didn't keep meticulous notes, which who does? Yeah. You know, nobody will ever know. So my sources were ranker, Wikipedia, of course, gotta love Wikipedia, MichiganLive.com, and GoodHeartStore.com. Oh, which was a like a little general store in the area I, that's like, let's capitalize. I don't know why it's called GoodHeart. The website is called GoodHeartStore because it had the whole. It was really funny because most of what you find is these is what happened in 2018 with them wanting to be, nope, nope, it's all solved, it's all settled. Here is all the evidence. And then it's like, you have to go further to go, oh, I look, there was other evidence pointing in other directions. <laughs> but this is convenient, so. It is. And it doesn't mean he didn't do it either. That's true. Plenty of people kill for money all the freaking time. Mm-hmm. And not that much money, actually. So. All right, so I'm doing the railroad killer, and this is a serial killer and sometimes rapist. So that's your trigger warning. (laughs) All right, March 23rd, 1986, an unknown woman's remains were found in Bexar County, Texas, in an empty farmhouse. She had been shot four times with a 38 caliber gun. July 19th, 1991, a man's body was found in an abandoned house in downtown San Antonio, Texas. Michael White had been bludgeoned with a brick and found on site. The brick found on site. March 23rd, 1997, a couple were murdered in Ocala, Florida. They were teenage runaways from Illinois. Only the body of Jesse Howell was found at that time lying next to a set of railroad tracks. He'd been bludgeoned with an air hose coupling. It would be much later that his girlfriend, Wendy Von Huben, was found. She had been raped, strangled, suffocated, sodomized after death, and buried in a different area. July 5th, 1997, the body of a man known to be a drifter was found in Colton, California. Roberto Castro had been bludgeoned with plywood in a rail yard. August 29th, 1997, a young woman named Holly Dunn Pendleton. And this was one, I don't know if you covered her or not as a survivor. I'm giving you a spoiler right there, but here's the good part. And I'm going to dwell on it for a moment. (laughs) Stumbled into the yard of another university student, Chad Getz, at sometime between 1 and 2 a.m. She was covered in blood. He described her face as looking like she'd been in a boxing match. Very damaged. He ran out and brought her in, setting her on the couch. He was just studying by the window, happened to look out, <laughs> luckily for her. Set her on the couch, and then she was drifting in and out of consciousness at this well, point. Well, I can and only And you'll imagine. see soon, it's it's shocking she was even walking when he found her. But once she sat down, mm. that drive was gone. She was able to convey to him that she had been attacked, though her jaw wasn't working right. 
That's all she remembers. She was like, I could tell that my jaw wasn't working right. Yeah, there's the reason. And she told him her friend was still out there. She kept saying, but my friend's still out there. They, they have to save my friend. My friend's still out there. He called the police in an ambulance. And Detective Craig Sarl of the Lexington, Kentucky Police Department spoke with her at the hospital. So just an aside, you've noticed these are all different places. All over the place. Where her jaw had been wired as it was broken. And she had staples all over her head and face from the extensive damage to it, as well as a broken eye socket. And they have no treatment for that. And here's the thing. Her sister was interviewed and her sister said the damage was so extensive on her head, they couldn't even shave the hair because it would have been over damaged flesh. So they were literally just stapling over her hair to try and close up the wounds on her head. That is how severe this was. Oh, my God. They couldn't even get the hair removed so that they could really safely staple that. They just needed to close it. She told him she and her boyfriend, Christopher Meyer, had been attacked at the railroad tracks by a man hiding behind an electrical box. They'd left a party and taken like a six pack and gone to just Mm because the party just wasn't doing it. They weren't happy. It was whatever. He leapt at it then holding some sort of sharp object, which he held to Christopher's throat. He tied up her boyfriend's hands in his backpack straps. What he did is he kind of had it was on his back. And so he's like, I'm going to go through this. And then he's doing it. He's kind of messing around with it. And by the time he's done, kids tied up. Ah. He then tied her hands with her belt and tied up her feet. Then he ripped up a shirt and gagged them with it. But Holly stuck her tongue out while he was doing it Ooh. so that she was later able to just push it out after he walked away. Mm-hmm. And he did. He actually, he walked away and he kind of disappeared for a short time. So they're talking, trying to figure out what to do. And they don't know where he is. They are just know he's going to come back any moment. I would be freaked the fuck out. Right. And they're tied up, so it's not like they can get up and walk away. So Holly was able to get her hands free. She couldn't get her legs free. And she removed Christopher's gag, and that, and they're trying to plan it, but they couldn't get him. He was just, the wrapping and the straps was so all over the place. He couldn't get out. She couldn't get him out. So he said, I can't get out. You need to go. You need to get out of here before he gets here. Get your feet free. Get out of here. Leave me. And she's, of course, I'm not going to leave you. And he's like, fuck out. You know. (laughs) But the man came back too soon. And he came back. He's holding this really large rock. And that's why he disappeared, it looks like. He went to find this rock. And he stood over Christopher where he lay. And he dropped the rock on the boy's head. Oh. One article stated the rock was 52 pounds. I don't know if that's true. I do know that it's true that it was large enough that it took one drop. To kill Christopher with that rock. It was very Oh my god. And she's sitting there and she's watching it. She's watching it and Christopher's watching it. Yep. I I will say it was probably a fast death for him. Which is nice. And he didn't have to watch what came next. Mm. So he then raped Holly. Though she fought as hard as she could. Certain he would kill her when he finished. But he took that. She was like hitting at him and she was screaming and she was kicking and she was doing everything she could. But he took that weapon out. And I... She wasn't sure. She said she thought it was a screwdriver or an ice pick. You know, it was never something she got to focus on because it was held peripherally or whatever. Right. But he held it to her throat and he said, I could kill you easily. I mean, what he just did to your boyfriend, right? Like, she knew he had no problem killing her. And then he stabbed her in the neck with it to show he was willing to do it. So she's been stabbed in the neck now. So she stopped fighting. And But she said, she sat there and she said, okay. If I live, if he doesn't kill me, even though she was certain he would, I'm going to find something to identify him with. So she studied everything she could see the entire time he's raping her. 
Wow. She was looking for scars, for tattoos, for anything that would set him apart from somebody else. And then she said, I tried to dig my nails into the... So, quote, I tried to rip off my fingernails and dig in the dirt so that if I was taken away, someone would know that I'd been there if they found Christopher C. So, she's Man, trying she's to leave. thinking. She is. And she's not trying to leave can, something from her. Yeah. Not everybody can think in those circumstances. No. no. Very impressive. Yeah. She tried to talk to him then. She tried that tactic. Like... You know, I have family waiting for me. I have a sister or whatever. And do you have family? She's asking him about right. that. And what's your name? You know, the stuff that you see them try. And the thing is, sometimes that does work. You don't know what's going to work with somebody attacking you. It's different every time. And she was like, there are people that leave me, leave, love me. Please don't kill me. And she's begging for her life at that point after she's done fighting. Oh. She tried everything. So he finished. And he started hitting her in the face with this plank of wood he'd found in the face and head. This is why that damage. She couldn't remember the hits afterwards. This is foggy for her. This is right. This is the hospital being like, oh, yeah, she was beat. They're splintered. They, you know, they were able to really say it more than she was. And she thought she probably passed out mm-hmm. during all this and that maybe her breathing was so shallow from the damage at that point, he thought he'd killed her. So he left her. That's why she survived. <laughs> when she came to, he was gone. Of course, she didn't know for sure he was gone. There's that waiting and there's that. But she got herself up. He'd untied her legs to rape her. That's why they were free. And then he thought she was dead. Why hide the mech up? So she just walked. She kept walking. She just, I actually watched a show called I Survived, a Mm -hmm. serial killer. And I'm now watching its predecessor, which was I Survived. Really good, but you will get emotional like every single episode. And they're not all killers in the I Survived one. But they usually have three stories going at the same time that they're popping between. So anyway, I did see her interview and that's, and I was like, I'd been wanting to do him for a while. So... Anyway, she was just like, I kept, I, I was tired and uh, hurt and confused. and But all I could think was just keep walking, just keep walking. And that's what she did. It was robotic at that point, right? And then she ended up in Chad's yard. But, and she was so, she was like, if I sit down, if I rest, if I fall down, I'm not getting back up. Period. Due to her injury, she wasn't able to attend Christopher's funeral, which was something that really bothered her. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> she was like in the show and she was like, I just I should have been at his funeral. Well, you know, you're broken. Uh, yeah. She ended up being the railroad killer's one and only surviving victim. And she was able to describe the attacker. He had a Mexican accent, was possibly Hispanic. It was dark. So, you know, I mean, they got, mm-hmm. there weren't lights everywhere, but she felt his features seemed Hispanic. He was between 5'6 and 5'8, wiry, black wavy hair and glasses. Police had a suspect description now, but little else. The other cases had not yet been connected and mm-hmm. wouldn't until the killer confessed to them after capture. So I listed them in order because I, I went back and forth on how to do it. And I was like, eh, otherwise I'm just listing weird shit after he's right. admitted to it. October 4th, 1998, a woman named Leafy Mason was murdered in a home invasion in Hughes Springs, Texas. She was 87 years old. These kids had been 20, around 20. Mm-hmm. I think she was 22. He was 20. The killer broke in through a window and beat her to death with a fire iron. No rape. December 10th, 1998. Fanny Whitney Byers, another elderly woman, this one in Carl, Georgia, so that's a week later between Texas and Georgia, was killed with a tire rim. Her house was near railroad tracks. Though a couple would be charged with her murder, it turned out they likely weren't the ones to have done it. Back to Texas a week later, because I believe the dude said he did it. And they were like, Ooh. <laughs> we already convicted somebody for that. Oops. Back to Texas a week later on December 17th, 1998, and West University 
Place, Texas. A pediatric neurologist named Dr. Claudia Benton was murdered and raped. Uh, raped and murdered. He both stabbed her 39 times with a kitchen knife and beat her with a two-foot-tall bronze statue found in her home. As with many of the other crime scenes, her home was near the railroad tracks, but this time he stole her Jeep, which he left in San Antonio, complete with a lovely set of his fingerprints on the steering wheel. Nice. Thoughtful of him to provide this. May 2nd, 1999, Weimar, Texas. A couple, Reverend Norman J. Cernick of the United Church of Christ and Karen Cernick, were both murdered with a sledgehammer in their home adjacent to the church. He sexually degraded Karen's body after her death and stole their Mazda, which was once more found in San Antonio. So I'm wondering if there's a railroad hub there or something. His fingerprints were found in this car as well. June 4th, 1999 in Houston, Texas, a young elementary school teacher named Noemi or Noemi Dominguez was raped and murdered with a pickaxe in her home. Her Civic was stolen afterward, turning up in Del Rio, Texas. That same day, same day, using the same pickaxe used on Noemi in Dubina, Texas, in a farmhouse not far from where the Cernics had been murdered, an elderly woman named Josephine Convica was murdered. Just over a week later, on June 15, 1999, in Gorham, Illinois, there were two final murders. George Morber Sr., who lived by a set of railroad tracks, went out to get his newspaper. When he returned inside his home, he was tied up and shot with a shotgun. So the guy got in while he was out. Unfortunately, his daughter came by to visit while the killer was still in the house. Oh. And she was beaten to death so brutally with the shotgun that the shotgun broke. The killer stole his truck and drove back to Mexico. So I assume that means that they found the truck in Mexico at some point. Fingerprints were found at all these final murders. The killer was known to linger in their homes after killing them. He would ransack the houses looking for valuables, but their IDs would also be found lying out. And it was, he would look through things. They felt he was reading, like trying to find out something about the people he just brutalized. Huh. That's odd. Yeah. He also kept things that had only sentimental value to the victims that weren't of value. And this, I've seen that, that happens all the time because that's their trophy. Rape didn't seem to be his primary motive because it didn't happen each time. Right. People were ultimately warned that the killer appeared to be riding the rails around the country and that those living near tracks were in greater danger. His fingerprints identified the killer as Rafael Resendez Ramirez, which would prove to be the wrong name, but the right person. (laughs) Jesus. Officials descended upon Texas like they were coming from all other places because they could see this is kind of this is where Mm -hmm. it keeps returning to. That's his main hub. They put out the information they had on him, including that he was known to be a migrant worker who used trains to get to areas seeking seasonal migrant work. Typical, you know, a lot of it was farm stuff Mm -hmm. most of the time. He quickly became one of the FBI's top 10 most wanted fugitives. His photo with the wrong name put out on wanted (laughs) notices. Officials stopped trains around Texas using helicopters to look for men around the tracks and they'd stop the train if they saw something Mm -hmm. that seemed odd to them. That's probably a big deal because you don't. Yeah. Our country uh, used to very much run on trains and that trying to transit versus trucks, right? It would be like stopping a bunch, every truck now. <laughs> it's yeah. like, this is a problem. We're screwing up business. We're screwing up timetables. The timetables especially. Yeah. So I figure that's a pretty big thing to do. Holly, his survivor, applied to school in England around this time, terrified that he knew she was alive and would come find her to finish what he'd started. Oh my God, I don't blame her. Yep. 
With police and officials everywhere searching for this man, his sister, who lived in New Mexico, called in after seeing her brother's picture on America's Most Wanted. Oh, God. She actually called the show, which put her in contact with investigators. She said he was in Mexico, but that a family member had let her know he might surrender. His family feared vigilantes would come after him and his family. He was married and had a daughter back in Mexico. Oh. Yep. He was gone so much, but I guess if they're finding work, that's probably a very normal setup. You wouldn't know he was doing anything wrong. His birth name was actually Angel Maturino Resendez, and he was born in 1959 in Puebla, Mexico. He moved back and forth at young ages between a single mom and an aunt and uncle, never finishing school past seventh grade. His mother would claim that he was sexually assaulted by a bunch of boys at a nearby river when he went swimming, and that during an earlier prison sentence, he was raped in prison. Whether it's true, I do not know. He never said it, and I'm like, did, would he have wanted her to say it? So I imagine she was trying to drum up sympathy for him and be like, oh, he was this terrible butcher and rapist because he got raped. And like, too fucking bad, lady. They didn't rape him. <laughs> Stop. It turned out that he had been sneaking into America since he was a teen, and he had been deported around 17 times through the years. Wow. I actually kind of hesitated to cover him, because I'm like, this is the type of story they use to be like, this is why we need a war. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked. So <laughs> you want to come right back then, too? Yep. His first arrest was in Michigan in 1976, likely for burglary. They deported him, but he returned in 1979 and was arrested for breaking into a man's home in Miami, Florida, and beating the elderly man who lived there. But that man did survive. Though he was sentenced to 20 years for it, he only served until 1985. So six years. It was during, and I don't know when the court case actually happened. Could be five years. We don't know. It was during this time in prison that he was supposedly gang raped. Upon his release, he was deported again, but the murder of the first woman I mentioned, the Jane Doe, occurred in 1986, so he'd come right back. He would later admit to this murder and state she was a homeless woman he'd met at a shelter, and that he'd had a motorcycle at the time, which I don't understand, and taken her on a ride to go target shooting. His excuses for murdering her varied, with him stating she'd insulted him, but also at one point saying she practiced Santeria, so he killed her for being evil. He also claimed he killed her boyfriend for being into black magic, but no associated body or missing person has ever been found, so nobody knows if that's true. And since he transported on a motorcycle, I'm like, you would have had to kill the boyfriend before you took her or yeah. go back and kill It doesn't make sense. No. So I don't know. He confessed also to the 1991 murder of Michael White. That was the man who was found beaten by a brick mm -hmm. in an abandoned building and said it was because he was gay. On July 12th, 1999, Angel met a Texas ranger named Drew Carter, who had been speaking to Angel's sister, Manuela, the one who had called in and worked as a go-between. He met Angel, a pastor, and several family members at the bridge connecting El Paso, Texas to Mexico mm -hmm. and took him into custody. They shook hands. He cuffed him. He took him in. This is so peaceful. Such a, you know... <laughs> He beat so anti-climactic to death with a piece of plywood. Yeah. Tire iron, tire rim, bronze statue, wood, poker, yeah. shotgun. I wouldn't have shook his hand. Shotguns aren't weak. No. If you break a shotgun beating somebody, you're you're really putting some yeah. muscle behind that. His wife and mother returned jewelry and similar gifts he had given them that turned out to belong to victims. They returned mm. what they knew of and could. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think they knew, you know, why would they? He was off right. working. And then he would bring back gifts because he'd made some money or something, right? 
Much of it, of course, was never returned as it had been sold or melted down. During the time leading up to his trial and during the actual trial, Angel made various crazy claims. He said he was half angel and was only going after those who had done wrong. No, they had not. Let's be clear on that. (laughs) He told them they could kill his body, but not his soul because he was eternal. While one psychiatrist said he was delusional and not fit to stand trial with the death penalty on the line, a judge did ultimately find he was competent to stand trial. You can rave about whatever you want to, but you know you did wrong. Yep. He was convicted for the death of Claudia Benton. That's a, that's the only one they actually charged him for. And I figure that's probably because of the location and mm-hmm. the specific Texas Ranger that arrested him and stuff. After going through the appeals process, he was put to death by lethal injection in Huntsville, Texas on June 27, 2006. So he was never actually tried and convicted of the other crimes, but he w- he already got the death penalty. And at that point, right. they're like, is it worth extradition? Is it worth... And is it worth the expense? And putting families, for Through example, yeah. and having to... Yeah. His final words were, I deserve what I am getting. You do. You do. But before that, he was like, please forgive me. His final words were several sentences long, but his very final words were, I deserve what I am getting. Holly Dunn Pendleton runs a nonprofit called Holly's House. From their website, quote, Holly's House is a non-residential child and adult victim advocacy center. Our mission is to empower victims of intimate crime and abuse by providing support, promoting justice, and preventing violence. Our vision is to be a leader in preventing intimate crime and supporting victims and their families while bringing awareness to the community. Holly won the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis Award for Public Service in 2006, same year he was put to death. Her nonprofit can be found at hollyhouse.org. And my sources were Oxygen, True Crime, All That's Interesting, CBS News, and Wikipedia. I did not talk about her. Okay. There was another survivor who started a nonprofit, but it, that's not her. Because okay. I, uh, I, I was like, I'm trying to remember, and I'm like, it might be, but... Um, because I followed that woman's, the nonprofit's uh, Facebook page, mm-hmm. and there was just some announcement about something... I don't know. They raised money for something. It was it popped up on Facebook the other day because I looked at it. I thought, what the hell is this? And then I read it and I went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remembered this. Okay. But soon her name will be on their magical spreadsheet <laughs> that we'll be able to search. <laughs> Yay. It'll be so nice. Instead and I was of, like, there's no way I can figure out this without listening to the whole Survivor yeah. episodes. Unless you we message each other and go, did you ever talk about... Blank. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't remember. Could we? Because this is episode one hundred and fifteen. So no, I don't remember. <laughs> when I was doing the spreadsheet, I found one and I went, "What was that about?" <laughs> I had to listen to some of it because I was like, "Huh? I did that." <laughs> I mean, it is over the course of like three years or something at this. Because we started in twenty twenty. Yeah. So it's okay, two and a half years because yeah. it was later in the year when we started. But yeah, and I'm just like, oh yeah. And there's stuff I have done that I've forgotten because I've like, oh yeah, I came across that the other day and thought it sounded interesting. <laughs> it was the first time. <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, twitch, twitch. I don't know. I watched an episode of I Survived last night that was. I'll probably try and cover this woman at some point. Again, not a serial killer. It's a one-time incident. But so many things about her are so horrifying. And she was so remarkably calm, but it's because she was a a hospice nurse. Oh. Yeah. 
I did hospice for one fucking day. It sucks. Yep. Because they were going. And, mm-hmm. uh, but <laughs> just like, woman, <laughs> you amaze me. <laughs> so I'll probably cover her, but I, I probably can't do it without getting emotional yet because I, her 911 call did me in when she finally oh. got to a phone. Because she had been so calm the whole time. She said, I don't know what it was, but the moment I finally reached somebody and they said the police were coming, I lost it. Well, yeah. And then- she did. And you hear the whole fucking phone call. And I was like, blubber, blubber, blubber. <laughs> well, that's when you start to feel like, oh, my God, I've made it through. Right. And so she could lose it. Yeah. Because, I mean, I do the same shit where I'm completely in control until something is passed. I'm yep. the one who takes charge. And, uh, and I can tell you, I've done it multiple times now in car accident and mm-hmm. all sorts of things. I am completely calm when I even as a kid completely calm when dealing with it and then i get a get to where i'm alone mm-hmm. where i'm alone and it is done and that is when like the full-on panic and shock and like yeah. breakdown happens like when, holy shit i almost died because <laughs> when you're in the middle of it you're you're like i just have to take care of business mm-hmm. i gotta get this done i gotta take care of this person i gotta there's shit gotta be done right and you don't have time to stop and Get upset about it. Get upset. Yeah, right. You're like, okay, here are the things that I see that are the problem that need to be done. I'm going to do this. So yeah, her her 911 call. And probably that's... Like, even when I watch movies, something horrible happens. That doesn't get to me, but then somebody reacting to it does. And you can't tell me that most people don't watch Steel Magnolias, for example, Mm -hmm. and it's Sally Field breaking down in her daughter's grave that gets you. Oh, yeah. Versus her daughter... You know what? Spoiler, it's old. (laughs) Her daughter dying. Yeah. You know, like that. I'm not, I'm like, oh, that's sad. Yeah. We all did. Sally Field loses her absolute shit and she is destroyed and she is getting out all that anger. And then you're like, right. So that's, (laughs) that's how it works. 911 call got me. I had watched like three episodes before that. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you do. You get to a point. There's some things that's, I think, not the exact same reason, but that's why I can't always binge watch stuff like The Boys because mm. it is so violent and there's a lot of personal violation. Yes. And sometimes it's just, it's over the edge for me and I'm like, no, I need my new comfort show. I have a new comfort show. <laughs> it's not a new show. It's a new comfort show for me. Hulu has Mary Tyler Moore. Oh. So if I watch something that upsets me, I'll just flip over and watch a couple episodes of Mary and Rhoda and Lou and Phyllis. I did notice that that 70s show was on and I was like, that's going to be my new. I usually have some kind of sitcom Mm -hmm. that I can go to and watch after, say, I watch a bunch of horror movies one night or something. If one of them's really in my brain, then maybe I can watch... Some it was home economics for a while, or have you seen um, that 90s show? No, I know that it's is it, but where is it? It's it's not out yet, it's coming out. Um, I meant, have you seen the trailer? Because it's Eric and Donna's daughter. Mm -hmm. I I can't wait. The parents, yes, Foreman and Kitty. Yes, it looks good. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that. Also, the new movie. Renfield? Yeah. Did you see it? looks ridiculous and I'm here for it. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay, did you... It's called Vampire's Kiss, I think. Jennifer Beale and Nicolas Cage. One of his earlier films, like, well, probably in the 80s, maybe the early 90s. But I know I watched it as a teen, so it can't Mm -hmm. be too late. 
It's so... It's... She's possibly a vampire. She's supposedly a vampire. Mm -hmm. She might really be. I don't remember. He thinks he's been turned into a vampire because he gets bitten because they have sex and he gets bitten. And so he's running around. And at one point, there's just Nicolas Cage skipping and going, I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. And waving his arms. (laughs) And that's legitimately the only thing I remember from that movie now. I don't even know if it's good or not. I just remember the complete absurdity because the whole thing is... Is he a vampire now or is he like just crazy and he uh-huh. thinks he's a vampire? It's pretty funny. I think it's called a vampire's kiss. Totally recommend at least looking it up for that ridiculousness. But now he's playing a vampire again and that amuses me all over again. It'll probably amuse me just because I'm connecting it with that stupid movie. Okay. Thank you for tuning in and listening to us. Thank you for listening and bye. Thank you. Talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Mystery Monsters and Mayhem. Find us on Facebook and Instagram or at our website, mysteriesmonstersmayhem.com. Please like, rate, and review, follow, and share wherever your favorite podcasts are downloaded. Thank you for listening and supporting our podcast. We'll be back next week with more shenanigans.